us. This is good news for us this morning. Thank you, Israel. We bless you and love you. Yeah, thank you for letting me share this morning. Get myself situated here. Um, we've been in a conversation for a little while now on uh, worship, and uh, I've been really grateful for it. Have you guys been, has this been helpful for you as we've been going through it? Um, this conversation on God's glory, his delight in us, and some of the practical ways we can go about it. Um, this morning, my desire uh, in being with you and sharing on this a little bit, coming from my own experience, as well as just, I think, some things that the scriptures can help us with, is just to bring a little bit of articulation to some of what we've probably already talked about in some practical ways and some ways we can posture ourselves, um, as well as uh, help us set some appropriate expectations for what this is all about when we show up in these corporate spaces to worship. So um, I'm going to read a scripture. Yeah, so again, we're, uh, how do we worship together? What are we supposed to experience? I'm going to read a scripture um, and we'll pray. It's about the Pharisee and the tax collector, parable of Jesus in Luke 18. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you desire to meet us, to show us what you're like, to love us. Thank you that when we gather, that you want to make those things known, and in your love for us, you also do good work inside of us. Just ask that you'd speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this morning by saying there's no such thing as no expectations. Um, There's this line um, in the office, my wife and I have been rewatching it, where Michael Scott, the... uh, the wild character that he is, uh, is expecting to have a meeting with David Wallace, his uh, supervisor in New York. And uh, David Wallace didn't show up in person in the meeting like Michael had expected. And so Michael calls him up and says, uh, David, it was my understanding that you would be here today. And David asked, well, uh, what gave you that impression? And Michael said, it was my understanding. <laughs> I think it's in our human nature, just like Michael Scott, to come to everything in life with some degree of expectation. Um, For those of you going through emotionally healthy relationships, you either um, just talked about or about to talk about different expectations. And we realize that we have expectations, whether we realize them or not, they're realistic or reasonable, whether we've communicated them or not, um, whether the other person has agreed to them or not, we have expectations. And another thing that's helpful to notice about expectations is that question of, Where do they come from? Where do we get them? Uh, They come from our previous experiences. They come from experiences in other relationships. Um, A scary one is uh, a lot of our expectations come from what we see in culture or on TV, right? But also, I I believe some of our expectations come from our desires. We have desires to be loved, desires to show love, 
And, and oftentimes we expect the things that we crave deep, deep down. But all this leads us to another dilemma and another question, which is, what do I do when I don't get what I expect? Um, it was about 10 years ago now, I um, was going to a, a college weekend uh, or Roberts. Uh, anyone go to a college weekend at some point in there? They still do the campus worship the, uh, sometime during that week, yeah? Get the whole campus together and worship. I remember going to that, and I had a lot of built-in expectation in that season for the next season of my life. I was a senior in high school at the time when I visited, and so I was really excited about this next season and what it was going to look like, and, and also just some excitement in this moment where the whole campus came together to worship. I think the curtains had opened up, and you could see you know, the organ in the back or something. It was really, really cool, the environment that was set for worship, and I'm probably not the only one in the room that's come to a worship setting eager and expectant for God to show himself, and I couldn't help that feeling that night that, man, something's off. Something's not happening for me right now. Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with what, I, what I've done? Am I expecting too much? My guess is I'm not the only one in the room that's experienced that kind of thing when we've come to gather together in worship. When we look at this parable of Jesus and the tax collector, I just want to make a few observations to start with because I think it's going to be helpful for us. First off, the placement of the parable in Luke, um, it's right after this parable about uh, a widow who is persisting in prayer. And so in some ways, the context is prayer. But the larger context is this section in Luke where Jesus is ministering to and telling parables and stories about the outcast of society. He talks about the widow. He talks about the tax collector in the story. He also um, addresses little children. He heals a man with leprosy. And then just in the chapter afterwards, he ministers to a tax collector in society named Zacchaeus that everyone would have despised. And so this parable uh, comes right in the middle of this section, and it really joins in in speaking about God's heart for the down and the out, those who are humble. Secondly, this parable uh, shows us this example of two men, and the way Jesus tells it, coming to the temple to pray. Fasting and giving are also mentioned by the Pharisee in this parable. And so it's helpful for us to know fasting, giving, and prayer are some of the most consistent, practical requirements for personal devotion in, in mainstream religious circles. These were ways that they showed up to worship, right? These could even have been identified to the listeners as the 9 a.m. or the 3 p.m. time for prayer. Um, so this would have been a, a moment that the listeners would have recognized as a normal part of their worship. He's telling a story about two men showing up to worship. It's also helpful to notice that um, both men in the parable uh, seemingly could have maybe heard one another or, or seen one another while this was happening, right? And, and so we can know that this act of worship was a corporate one. It was also an individual one. They were gathered together. The people would frequently come together to pray in rhythmic ways, just like we would with our daily prayer rhythm or like we do on Sundays. But there was also something individual going on. There's an individual experience happening. But probably the thing that we note the most is the content of their prayers, right? Content of their prayers is different. The Pharisee oozes pride in comparison um, with his lesser brother. And um, I, I think one commentator uh, puts it this way in talking about the parable. The Pharisee glances at God, but he contemplates himself. 
What he says may be true. He does show up um, to pray. He is in maybe rhythms of worship and prayer, but the spirit of his prayer is all wrong. Um, maybe what's even a, maybe helpful for us as well is um, you could actually contrast, I won't read this whole thing, but you could contrast this prayer with other prayers maybe of the day that were common things for people to have prayed. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. I show up. I, I am present in, in my worship, right? In the same way we show up to sing songs that we're really familiar with, I want to ask that question, what is our posture? The content of their prayers was different, the tax collector and the Pharisee, but I also believe their posture was, what they came to it with was different. The posture of the tax collector was humble, saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so it's in this way that the opening and the final phrase give us some, some helpful cues about uh, Jesus' intended meaning of this parable and the way that he says it's directed to those who um, thought they had it all figured out, right? But it also ends with this phrase, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves, God will exalt. What does this mean? I want to pose as well this morning that I think um, this idea of our posture and what we come to worship with is probably a, a, a fair uh, comparison to even our kind of language of expectation. What am I coming with some degree of expectation for in worship? Um, I think we probably come with uh, different kinds of expectations, again, whether we realize them or not. Maybe, let's go to a couple extremes here. Maybe it's, I expect when I show up to worship today to feel God's presence. Pretty simple, but I think a lot of us hopefully would even put ourselves in that category. But man, I hope and expect to feel God's presence today. Completely on the other side, there may be some of us that show up in whatever season we're in that say, man, you know what? I'm showing up, but I'm not expecting to feel God's presence today. There's probably all kinds of other expectations we could put out there as well, uh, maybe lesser important ones, but ones that would be helpful for us to identify. Like, man, honestly, I just expect the music to be good. What did that have to say about our posture? Um, And and so it's important to value as well. I I, I don't want to dismiss, sometimes we've talked about uh, having expectation versus expectancy. Like I just want to show up and expect God to do something, not put specific expectations on it, which is good. But it's probably a reality for us that we still have some degree of expectation as we would in any relationships. We have things that we come into deep relationship with. And I actually want to say this morning, that's good. It's good that we have expectation because I think what it means is that we know that there's a God who wants to delight in us and we want to delight in him and we're showing up with the expectation that that's going to happen. And I want to say this morning, that's good. Let's show up expectant for us to meet God and him to meet us. In the same way, you know, if we could use uh, the, the metaphor of a marriage or any other kind of close human relationship We show up to those relationships expecting some degree of fun, connection, intimacy, fellowship. The same can be true with God, and it's a good thing. But I want to say, as anyone who's been married or been in any type of close human relationship for any length of time, not all moments of relationship are ecstatic or intimate. But we still show up. Our desire for intimate, powerful experiences and times of worship are not wrong. They're good, but they won't happen all the time. And that's okay. It's part of relationship. Because when it's more about my experience than just my posture and my presence, it becomes about me and what I'm going to get. 
I'm glancing at God when I'm contemplating my own experience. I'll use the, the marriage metaphor uh, again. If a husband says to his wife, babe, I really want to experience you today. <laughs> well, it might be kind of sweet and maybe a little affectionate, but we'll call out why we're laughing, which is that it's impersonal. It's more about what I'm getting out of it in my experience. I, a, a good husband maybe um, desires good experiences with his wife, and that's okay, as we would in any human relationship. But we don't want our experiences to drive our love. We want it to be the other way around. We want our love to drive our availability for encounter without that being the primary objective. In worship, I want to be, I don't want to be glancing at God but contemplating my own experience. And so, like the Pharisee and the tax collector, our posture of contemplating ourselves and what we can get out of worship won't serve us as well, but a, a more naked and pure intent for embracing God will serve us well. And that might mean we experience something epic, or it might mean we won't. I've got to see this play out a lot. I'm really grateful to be a, a youth pastor in, in this environment, and really, really privileged to get to interact um, in, in the spiritual journey with a lot of young people uh, in our community. And I, I've seen this um, struggle play out a lot in this demographic, um, and I think it's because we're early on in our journey. Um, but but I, it's been pretty frequent that I've showed up to a Wednesday night uh, youth gathering or some of our events like a Tulsa Missions or a summer camp or retreats, and a student come to me and share, um, I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I'm not feeling it tonight. Man, I had expectation that I'd feel God's presence and his love for me. It's been a hard week. Why am I not feeling it? And I think it's common and, and frequent maybe for a lot of us, um, and maybe we don't talk about this all that often, to feel disillusioned or confused or disappointed in not feeling God's presence the way we expect or want or have come to know in previous seasons. Um, I know for myself, following uh, my experience at this uh, campus worship at College Weekend, um, the following season and, and getting to go to ORU and, and getting to uh, really change and, and um, create opportunity to encounter God. Um, I didn't always experience it in the way I had looked ahead to in that season. And, and it wasn't just worship. It was, in a lot of ways, my life. There were things that lined up with what I had wanted, but there were also things that were kind of disappointing. The kind of relationships I wanted, what I expected out of opportunities to lead, you fill in the blank. We all have those in the seasons we look ahead into the future. And the honest experience was that it maybe wasn't working out for me in my corporate uh, sessions of worship and also in my lived experience. And I began to catch on as the years went on that there was something more going on than just whether or not I was feeling God or getting what I wanted. Um, and this is where I, I've um, found a really dear friend in a 16th century monk uh, who took it upon himself to speak on these things uh, in some really articulate ways. Um, most of us would probably know him as St. John of the Cross, but um, we're probably more familiar with his title uh, of his work um, and the concept, The Dark Night of the Soul. He describes a couple different kinds of nights. One's more of the, uh, the spirit, which is uh, more of an extended thing, maybe in a later season of life. But what is really helpful for me, he articulates some ways that we frequently, many of us, especially in the early seasons of our discipleship, don't always experience 
the more ecstatic and exciting ways of worship or meditation. And I just want to share a few takeaways um, from some of the things he writes on. Um, first thing he, he really makes clear, I'm just kind of summarizing that, is that God, in these moments where we're maybe not experiencing him, is not actually absent, but he may still feel that way. But it's important that we know he hasn't left. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still present, but for some reason, there's seasons where we're not experiencing it. Secondly, there's something else going on when this happens. God, in his loving and fatherly way, leads us into embracing this process. And in doing so, he purifies our desires. And a little bit of how this works is when we're not experiencing the thing that we really want to experience in our time of worship and our relationship with God, and there's angst and there's disappointment, we're getting to acknowledge on a deeper level, I want God. But the fact that I'm not experiencing him right now, and I want to, is a sign that he is real, and I really want him. And there's something about this that creates a more pure worship in us, for it not to be about our experience, or so I can get out of it, but him. I just want him. And, and also, and this is really helpful and encouraging for us, this season, these moments, does not have, they do not have to be permanent. God doesn't, I, I don't think, wants to invite us into extended periods of time where he's away from us, where we're not feeling him. But there are seasons where he uses this moment, um, but it is a, it's a night. It's not a month or a year. And so he encourages a couple things, and this might feel like a little bit of intense language, but he encourages us to embrace, in his language, the misery of it. Embrace the reality that I'm not experiencing God in the way that I desire to or want to right now, but in doing so, I'm acknowledging and becoming aware of my longing for him. It's like being hungry, right? I want it. It's not fun right now, but I know that I want it. And God does something with that to create a more pure form of worship, but also he encourages us to embrace the mystery that somehow, in some kind of way, even though I'm not experiencing it right now, God is near and he is here. And in posturing myself with a more pure form of worship, he gets to reveal himself in maybe a new way. He calls this a loving and peaceful attentiveness to God, seeing where he reveals himself. But I want to add in uh, one more layer to this when we look at the scriptures, which is just that um, if we were to cross-reference, we're going to dive back into the scriptures just for a second. If we cross-reference this spot in Luke chapter 18 with Matthew 6, Jesus talks about prayer again. He talks about prayer. He also talks about fasting and giving, which is also mentioned by the Pharisee. But he ends each one of these sections, and obviously the Lord's Prayer is right in the middle of the prayer section, gives some other counsels in here, encourages the disciples to pray in secret, to be in some ways like the tax collector, be humble in your posture. But he also says... Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What's that about? So again, we can see a parallel between showing up in rhythmic ways of prayer, fasting, and giving. But there's this hint of a reward as well. If we just look throughout the New Testament, if we look at Matthew 5 to 7 specifically, we see lots of hints at reward. You know, blessed are you who do this, for this will happen. Great will be your reward in heaven. He talks about it in other parables. Paul mentions rewards that we receive. But it's interesting to note 
sometimes we think about rewards and go, oh man, that's something for when I die and go to heaven. Something for the life after, right? And, and I think there's something to be said about that. There's a lot of cases where we talk about it in a future sense. But it's also interesting to note that some of them um, use present tense language. And this is where we kind of have some different takeaways for when we talk and think about rewards. Uh, the first one is what we normally think of, which is, uh, for, according to some scholars, rewards are heavenly and they're the satisfaction. Jesus talks about when he was with the woman at the well and uh, the disciples come back. He says, I, I, um, I ate food that you know not of. There is a satisfaction and a reward to doing the work of God and doing it with him. There's something about it that's spiritual and heavenly, and maybe even for us after we die. In the same way, Jesus even talks about in a parable that we will be given the reward of more work to do, greater responsibility, leading of cities, those kinds of things, right? So there's another way that we we can think about getting these rewards. But the third one really intrigues me, especially in this conversation, because there's something about a a posture and a heart that says, you know what, I'm going to lay aside maybe the thing I really want in encountering God, I'm going to take a hold, God, whether he reveals himself in an experiential way or not, and there's this hint that maybe our reward is the vision of God himself. In pure worship, I think there's something so attractive about it that God says, man, I just want to show up. In ways that he's um, inviting us into transformation and purifying our longing for him, not longing for our experiences, not longing for the things that we, we want on a more surface level, and taking away maybe some of those experiential things. He's inviting us into something deeper, and the reward may even be an experience of himself. So he's not opposed to experiences, just like any human relationship. He loves to delight in us and for us to delight in him. He loves this exchange, but he also knows if we worship our experiences, they will not serve us well. But when we worship him, we receive our reward, which I believe is him himself. And so I believe there's some of us in the room this morning that may be in either one of these camps, maybe in previous seasons of our lives, we've been in different camps. I believe there's some in us, uh, some among us who are having amazing encounters with God in worship. And I want to say, that's great. I, legitimately, enjoy God. Enjoy Him. Delight in Him. Let Him delight in you. I also want to say keep the main thing the main thing and worship God and not your encounter with him. And those who are not feeling God's presence this morning or in this season, I want to say that's okay. He's still here and and I want you to be here too. There's a temptation to pity ourselves. When, when it's not happening the way we expect it or our personalities. I, I, I am a more uh, cognitive-centric person. I like thinking a lot. I have to talk myself down from thinking too much, you know, that kind of person. And the Lord's had to invite and address in me, I still need you to play your part. I still need you to show up and be a part of this moment. But when we embrace the reality that I want to feel God, I desire Him, I dress that longing deep, deep down for him. 
and engage the mystery that he's near, I, I do believe he wants to make himself known. Maybe in the way that's going to subvert our expectations of what it's going to look like, but in a way that transforms us in a way that we couldn't make happen for ourselves. I believe we will receive our reward. If we exalt, exalt ourselves, he will humble us. If you are proud, it's good news, like John has said. God can humble you. But I think he invites us into a humble posture of, Jesus, what are you doing? And when we do that, I believe he loves to show up. So, like I said, I'm a pretty practical thinker. I wanted to share some practical thoughts. So these are just some practical tips for feeling it or not feeling it. Um, Because I I think it's helpful for us when we, we talk about this. We get to practice this together every week. So here's some helpful things for us to think about. When you're not feeling it, sing anyway. It's really easy to think that, man, I should only sing this if I really believe it. And I actually think it works the other way around pretty often. Sing it, and sometimes our feelings and our experience catches up. Move around. Do something physical. I I find myself, because I get bored and because something experiential is not always happening, I'll kneel, I'll raise my hands, and it usually doesn't mean that I'm experiencing something awesome. It usually means I'm trying to pay attention. I want to receive what's happening right now, but I'm just not feeling it. But I'm going to engage anyway. Can we do something physical to keep ourselves engaged? Get creative. Close your eyes. Maybe, maybe there's a lot of distractions happening in the room and God wants to reveal himself to you by just closing your eyes. Maybe he's going to do something that you're not expecting. Maybe some of us have our eyes closed and we need to open our eyes and see the face of God and the other people in the room around us. We need to know that he is here in my brother and my sister next to me. And, and I also want to say... Maybe it's okay that we just hang out. Maybe we don't have to do anything. It's not really about us and our experience anyway. It's about presence with God. Maybe he wants us to be present with him, you know? And for those who who are feeling it, (laughs) be cool, you know? (laughs) In other words, enjoy God, you know? But but you don't have to to rub your experiences into other people's faces, right? I, I'm serious. We're in this together. We want to do this together. And enjoy God. We don't want to worship our own experience. Make ourselves present to him. Not worship the encounter. This is helpful. This all right? The uh, most difficult season for me in uh, my relationship with, with my now wife before we got married was the engagement. Because the longing was the greatest. And I think there's some of us in the room that are longing right now. Like, man, I haven't experienced God in a long time. Life is really difficult right now. I feel really confused and disillusioned. And I want to say, don't count yourself out from what God is doing in these places. Be present. He is mysterious, but he's not unknowable. He wants to make himself known. And in, in these seasons where we are not experiencing life or God in the ways we want to there's a deeper longing that gets developed. So we must press in. So I want to close with just a couple, a couple things here. First off, um, it's this invitation through imagery. I uh, got to reread the Chronicles of Narnia this summer, just in some of my time off. I needed something to read that wasn't uh, as dense. And 
I was so encouraged um, by the imagery of what's going on, but one of the things that intrigued me the most um, was, uh, or was these times where the people, or the, the animals in Narnia or the children were looking for Aslan and he wasn't there. The Christ center figure, Aslan, was not to be seen in the land. And this one particular story in uh, Prince Caspian, they, they come back after being gone for a thousand years and it's, uh, the land is, is run by uh, someone else and the animals are in hiding and Aslan has become more of a myth. He's not believed in anymore. He's not felt. He's not known. He hasn't been seen. And so the children start to go, man, has Aslan left us? Are we alone? And, uh, of course, it's always Lucy. Lucy gets this sense that she shouldn't give up. And then one day, while they're traveling from one place to another place, she thinks she's seen Aslan. And so she... uh, she says to the, the, the group, uh, the, the others uh, traveling with her and, and her siblings, hey, I, I think I've seen Aslan. Let's go follow him. You know, he's inviting um, her and them to, to move in a different direction. And, and so they're like, oh, Lucy, I don't know. I don't, I, you, you must be seeing things or whatever. But she persuades him to follow. And, and it's fascinating that as they go, the other children begin to see at first just a shadow and then kind of a silhouette Maybe the lining, uh, the hair in his mane. And then eventually, as they move forward, following in the direction where he had been leading them, they see him in his glory, in his majesty, in his power. And the reality was, he was actually there the whole time. They just hadn't seen him, at least yet. And I believe the Lord wants to invite some of us this morning to press in a little bit more to that journey of not saying, man, this isn't for me. Man, I'm not wired that way to encounter God. And by the way, I think we can encounter him in physical felt ways as well as other, you know, ways. Maybe it's brilliant thoughts that you have in times of worship, right? But I believe God wants to invite us into that. And so this morning, I I just want to respond. And I don't know how long we'll sit in this, but I just want to respond in a moment of just communicating with God our hunger our hunger for him, whether we are feeling him, whether we don't even think like, man, I don't know if I want to, but I'd probably say I want to want to. I want to want to feel him. Maybe I've been discouraged in this, but I want to, I want to press in. I want to invite us to just pause, and and we're not going to do this with music or anything like that. We're just going to do this in silence this morning. Whatever you're feeling today, whether you're feeling it, not feeling it, hoping, expecting, despairing in your experience of God want to make ourselves available to him and and if you are in a season where you are experiencing his presence and this happens really quickly for you again enjoy him enjoy him he loves to reveal himself through experience but if you're not and if you identify with the 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 misery of it that I'm not experiencing God in the way I want to but I I long for him I want you to embrace that We're just going to sit in the quiet here. This maybe feels a little unpredictable what's going to happen, but this is worship. This is our posture. Let's just make ourselves available to him.
I'll just say, too, we'll hang out just a, a minute and a longer, but if you're like, man, I'm not experiencing it, and I think I need to do something to act on it, um, I want to invite you to stand. You don't have to. Also, in standing, you may not experience anything there either, but there's something about physically posturing ourselves that we're, we're in it with God, that we want Him. So if, if you're not feeling it and you want to stand, I encourage you to do so. Just make yourselves available. Just keep pausing. When Israel mentioned the not feeling it folks and said the words, uh, don't give up yet. I could just feel the longing of God for you. I want to say, first of all, you're normal. We've all been there. And we're, in fact, Jesus has been there. On the cross, Jesus recited these words from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from even my cries of anguish. But I want to invite you to use Psalm 22 because by the end of it, that same psalm has in it this declaration, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. He hears us now. He hears us now. So, Lord, I want to ask your freedom for our friends. And maybe some of us didn't even feel comfortable to stand up. We strike down any and all judgments against ourselves or even from other people, from even 
well-intentioned but misguided advice and teaching that there's something wrong with you. And Lord, we courageously with our friends accept your invitation into a deepened and purified longing for the face of Jesus. We honor you, friends, for your courage. Your courage. Because we're going to need your courage sometime in the future, too. Brian, could you come? I would like our worship uh, pastor felt like he had a word to share on this. Yeah, I just want to represent the worship team in a way that I hope gives you a lot of permission. Um, Israel said that um, it's, we, there's never a time where we have no expectations, but we as a worship team have actually talked about wanting to lower our expectations of what should happen out there when we're up here. Um, and I just thought I should let you know that, that we don't expect you guys to be a certain way. That we don't, we don't want to, after the, after the musical worship set, to go in the green room and it's like, I didn't feel very good today. Did, did as many people raise their hands? Like, we don't want to think that way. And so I just want to give you so much permission to just be able to come and gather together and be. Because that's what we care about more than anything else. Would we just gather together? And whatever that looks like week to week, it's okay. So I long for our culture to be a culture where all of us is giving lots of permission to each other to not have to worship a certain way, whether in musical worship or other times, but to also be a culture where each of us individually are giving permission to God to say, you can challenge me, Lord, today if you want to. If you need to challenge me in the way I'm worshiping you today, you can do that. So my prayer is that we would be that culture. Let's stand together. Ooh. Incidentally, my friends who lead other churches and particularly lead worship in other churches, I legit brag about you guys. Because um, I'm like, it's just so easy to do the work here. <laughs> Y'all are so hungry for God. Uh, my friends who lead worship and led worship here are like, this is so fun. Um, so, but here's what I thought we could do. Wherever we're at, whatever we're experiencing, whether it's a lot of experience or none, could we just take a moment and finish this service with a simple prayer of telling God that we want Him? Some of that's going to feel like a lot more faith than not. But I just know Him well enough that it makes Him do backflips. Especially when we're not feeling anything. <laughs> Especially. So, I want to say just the phrase, I want you together. So I'll lead us in that. You ready for that? I want you. Let's say it again. I want you. Now let's say we want you. We want you. Lord, will you hear our prayer? And will you get what you want? Will you in the reward of your suffering, Jesus, 
which are all standing in this room. We thank you for that. We pray your blessing, your face shining on us, your peace on us, and we have grace for us and through us today and through this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.